Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Hello and welcome back to Riverside Online and welcome to our new series this morning called Dangerous Faith. In this series we're going to be journeying through the book of Acts through the lens of the persecuted church. Acts is an interesting name for a book in your Bible. Really this book would be better titled The Acts of the Disciples or The Acts of the Holy Spirit. This book looks at the birth of the early church and the expansion of the church and the life of the believers and the miraculous happenings that took place. Acts is the second book written by Luke. Now, we don't know much about the person of Luke, but we do know he was a doctor, uh, he was a writer, and he chose to try and accurately record the life of Jesus in his gospel and then the life of the early church in this book that we call Acts. Luke was a close friend um, of the Apostle Paul and must have journeyed with Paul on his travels and would would have been close to all the activity of the Holy Spirit at that time. Luke addresses his book to someone called Theophilus, and Theophilus must have been a friend. And Luke wants to record and write about the life of Jesus and the life of the early church in such a way to create an accurate reflection and to convince Theophilus that this actually is true and this is what happened at those times. Luke was well-educated, he was a good writer, he was observant, and all this is captured in his two books. At the start of his gospel, he writes this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were witnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And that's right at the start, the introduction of his gospel uh, we call Luke in our Bibles. And then the book of Acts, he writes a similar introduction. He says this, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instruction to the Holy Spirit, the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So Luke is responsible for writing two of the books that we find in our Bible. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. And he wrote them to try and convey with a surety that Jesus was real and the church was birthed and growing. The Bible we have is a collection of books. That's why it's called a Bible. It's like the word bibliography. It means a collection of writings. And I thought it'd be great today as we start this new series to watch a quick video from those wonderful people at the Bible Project who will help us understand how this book that we call the Bible came to be. Let's watch this video together. The Bible. It's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually? Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. 
But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets, and they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling, and they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So there's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand-year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple. But eventually, they were conquered by the Babylonians, who took them away into exile. Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible. What's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the Law. That's Israel's five-book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, there were other Jewish writings being produced during this Second Temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. But what did the early Christians think of the other Second Temple literature? Well, different groups had different views about some of these books, but we know they read them and valued these texts because they passed them along with the Jewish scriptures. Okay, so we've got the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. We've got these other Second Temple period works. Then the writing of the apostles about Jesus. And that's a lot of literature, so what's in my Bible? So the Christian movement has taken different forms over 2,000 years. And from the beginning, all Christians recognized the Tanakh and the New Testament as scripture. And for centuries, much of the Second Temple literature was read as part of the biblical tradition. 
The Catholic Church eventually made it official and called some of the books from this collection the Deuterocanonical books. Some Orthodox churches used even more books from this Second Temple literature. And then in the 1500s, during the Reformation, Protestant Christians wanted to go back to the oldest writings of the prophets and apostles, so they accepted only the Old and New Testaments. Well, I hope you found that helpful. As, the, as those guys said on that video, the Bible can at times be a confusing book. But as we understand, it's a collection of writings that unify the story of God. I think it gives us a much better grasp of how we can look to our Bibles and how our Bibles can encourage us. Now back to our new series. Throughout this series, we want to really encourage you and we want to use resources from an organisation called Open Doors that we partner with as a church here at Riverside. Open Doors has existed for over 60 years to serve and encourage the persecuted church. Wherever believers and followers of Jesus uh, find persecution, find suffering, Open Doors tries to be there with them, working with the local church to encourage them and support them in their faith. Open Doors is an amazing organisation and we're really encouraged by them. So um, over the next few weeks we'll be using these videos from Open Doors and I'll take us on this journey through the book of Acts where we see the the first three decades of the early church starting with the ascension of Jesus into heaven and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit the church is birthed and there's a roller coaster ride in the book of Acts there's healings there's deliverances there's miraculous personal encounters with the person of Jesus Christ but alongside that with all the good news there's this darker side of the story. There's violence, there's opposition, and there's even death we find in this book. Apostles are flogged, followers of Jesus like Stephen are stoned to death to become the first Christian martyr. The religious zealot Saul is running around, hunting down followers of Jesus, arresting them, persecuting them. And then he has this incredible encounter himself on the road to Damascus, and the hunter becomes the hunted. Saul becomes Paul and he becomes someone who himself suffers persecution as he tries to bring the message of the gospel. And even the apostle Peter is thrown to jail and James, Jesus' brother, is beheaded. The whole book of Acts ends with Paul under house arrest in Rome. And the reaction of the authorities to the gospel, the, the, the arrests, the beatings, the banishments, the executions, all this is because the gospel that Jesus carried and taught and told his followers to themselves carry and teach was a dangerous gospel. They carried a dangerous faith. I'm now going to hand over to someone called Ron Boyd McMillan, who's a strategic director at Open Doors, to help us understand this concept a little more. Life does go dark for every one of us at some point. And that's when we need the faith of others to carry us. We were not meant to bear our burdens alone. Now, persecuted Christians know all about those dark times. And they've proved God's power and love in overcoming the darkness. So if we can listen to their stories, we get the strength to face the dark and see the loving face of God. When I was a student, there was a famous preacher that came to our church and he went up into the pulpit carrying a very large Bible and 
put it down on the lectern with a great big thump. And he said, the last year I've gone through this book and I've cut out all the verses to do with the poor. And then he held it up and he opened it and of course it fell in tatters. Then he said, this is the Western Bible. We've cut out all the references to the poor and we no longer have a Bible that works. And I was thinking about that, made a big impact on me. I wonder if we've done the same with suffering. Have we gone through the book, the Bible, and cut out the references, the verses, to do with persecution, to do with suffering? And that would be a great shame if we have, because life does go dark for each of us at some point. And that's when we need God the most. And actually, that's when we can listen to the persecuted the most, because their testimony is that they have found God to be faithful, powerful, meaningful, and strong in those times of darkness. This is what this series, Dangerous Faith, is all about. Letting the persecuted, using their story, to put our Bible back together again, so that we have a book that works. And ultimately, so that we find a bigger God, a more dangerous God, less safe, less predictable, less ordinary, a God free to be who he really is. And so that we would become a lot more dangerous too, as we live out a more radical faith. I remember a friend of mine who was running a bookshop in Gaza, and it was bombed one day. And I was talking to him, and he said, Well, Ron, it was a beautiful bomb. And I said, Pardon? He said, It was a beautiful bomb, he said. And I said, What do you mean? He said, Well, they wouldn't be bombing us if we weren't making a difference. He knew God was building the kingdom. So that's a remarkable feature of the stories of the persecuted, the way they find this song of joy through the valley of suffering. When you think of what your Bible really is, it's persecution literature. It's written by persecuted believers for the strengthening of other persecuted believers. The vast majority of it fits that category. So why wouldn't we listen to the persecuted of the world today to help us read it? because they are the community that's closest to the people who first read and wrote this book. The Bible, let's face it, is full of suffering. Even in the first 30 pages, you've got murder, rape, fratricide, genocide. It's full of suffering. And persecution, which is a form of suffering, perhaps one of the most intense forms, is all through it. Think of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is really the story of a minority group of people, the Jews, who are always under threat of extinction because they're surrounded by enemies that want to do them harm. And still, remarkably, they manage to bring God's light to the nations. The Gospels see Jesus Christ persecuted onto a cross. And yet, through that death and resurrection, he offers salvation to everyone. The epistles are really all about a church 
that is deep underground. And Paul, of course, who's the most uh, well-known correspondent, he's writing a lot of his letters from a jail cell. And yet, look how he takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the Bible climaxes, actually, with this large, dense, amazing, symbolic book called Revelation. That's also written by John, who's in exile at the time. And it's all about how to keep believing that God's eternal kingdom is being built, even though the beast appears to be winning. And that's where the Bible ends, with that great picture of how through the blood of the martyrs, God builds this wonderful, eternal, and phenomenal kingdom. Persecution's central to the book. I don't think we can make enough sense of the Bible if we don't really take the suffering bit seriously, especially the persecution elements seriously. Otherwise, we may not have a book that works, and we may have a God that is not strong enough when we go through the hard times. If people who have suffered see the face of God in the middle of suffering, it shows that God is there in the suffering. It shows that he's with us. It shows that he loves us. It, it reveals his compassion in a completely new way. We need the persecuted to put our Bible back together again. I once visited Indonesia with Brother Andrew, that great servant of the Suffering Church, and a group of Christian leaders came to meet us from a very large city on the island of Java, and they were full of excitement. And they said, Andrew, we're living in the Book of Acts. We've seen growth, angels, healings, miracles, amazing conversions. Come, they said, come to our church and you'll walk onto the pages of the Book of Acts. And Andrew looked at them and he said, the Book of Acts, well now, take me to see your persecution. Persecution, they said, we don't have any. We're doing so much good here, everybody loves us. And Andrew just smiled and he said, well, then you can't be living in the Book of Acts. It's true, sure. In the book of Acts, we do have miracles. Yes, we have growth. Yes, we have conversions. But the strongest theme in the book is persecution. In the early chapters, the Spirit comes down. You get Pentecost. There's growth in Jerusalem. But it's not long before the leading apostles get a flogging. And after that, Stephen gets stoned to death. And after that, Paul starts persecuting. Peter gets jailed and the church gets scattered by a great persecution. And the surprising thing is, that's how God wanted it. Because persecution gives power to people who've never had it before, and it pushes them out to places and to peoples who've never heard the gospel before. So the gospel spreads to the Gentiles thanks to persecution. It's the engine of the gospel. And so Antioch, takes over as the main sending church from Jerusalem, and Paul the persecutor turns into Paul the persecuted. He gets a stoning in Lystra, he's attacked by a mob and he's jailed in Philippi, he's abused in Berea, he's nearly killed by a mob in Ephesus, he narrowly escapes a lynching in Jerusalem, and he spends the last third of the book as a prisoner, surviving an assassination plot, 
and arriving in Rome under house arrest. And that's where the book climaxes, with Paul still under arrest. And why is this? Because God spreads the gospel to the ends of the earth through the pain and the chains of persecution. It's the point of the book. Acts doesn't make sense without persecution. The gospel only spreads because of it. Persecution is the motor of the gospel. And that's God's way. And maybe, though it's a very unrealized truth today, maybe it's still his way. So let's go through the book of Acts and use these stories of the persecuted church to help us be challenged by the original beating heart of the book. So together through this series, we're going to be journeying through the story of persecution in the book of Acts. We're going to be going back to ancient Rome, but also we're going to look at places all over the earth today where persecution still happens. Places like China, Colombia, Iraq, the Philippines, Pakistan. And in these places where persecution is happening, we find a remarkable truth that God is there. God is present, strengthening and encouraging people of faith. At times of persecution, people find that God's great love is faithful and does endure and helps them stand. As Ron said in his video, life gets dark for all of us at some time. And I think during this time, particularly in January, which is a dark month anyway, we're in, we're in winter, the mornings are dark, the evenings are dark, the days are dark. And we're in this period of lockdown and we, it can feel dark for us right now. We may be experiencing a season of darkness. And even though new vaccinations are being rolled out, we're facing a new variant of the virus, which is more virulent than ever. And we're racing, we're battling uh, to, to keep up. Infections are rising, and it feels like a dark time. Our hope is as we do this series over the next few weeks, that you'll be encouraged as we look at the life of the early church, as we look at the testimonies of modern-day believers who face persecution and suffering. We hope you'll be encouraged that God is present in those times. In fact, God seems to be more present sometimes in our sufferings and challenges than when things are going easy for us. So we've got a number of aims for this series. We want to get a better understanding of the birth of the early church and how the gospel spread and flourished under persecution. We want to deepen our own confidence in God's love and presence during our own times of suffering. And we want to grow in awareness of our persecuted brothers and sisters and stand with them in prayer. One of Ron's hopes, as he voiced in those videos, was that as we look at the story of persecution in our Bibles, we will find a bigger God. We'll find a God who's able to be present even in the most challenging and hard situations. When life gets dark, God is present there with us. Ron also said that the persecution is the motor of the gospel, which is a very challenging concept to think about. We spend the majority of our own lives, I think, trying to avoid persecution. We want life to go smoothly, we want life to go well. We want people to like us. But Jesus was very clear that he said, if we follow him, if we trust in him, and if we carry his gospel, we will face persecution. 
He told every one of his followers to live a life of love, to love those they meet. But he never promised that people would love us back. He didn't even promise that people would like us back. He said this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Down throughout history, persecution has been present for every person who's tried to follow God. From the prophets that Jesus mentioned, right through to you and I, persecution is part of the story. It's part of God's, it's part of the challenge that we face as we take God's plan forward. Whenever someone carries the light and the love of Jesus into this world, they then will, will pit against the darkness and all kinds of evil that are present. Persecution can come in many forms. It can come in the form of words, attitudes, and actions. And most of us will not face the sort of physical persecution that's present in the book of Acts or even present in certain parts of the world today. But we still face the challenge. We still face attitudes. We still face uh, perhaps being falsely uh, mistreated or, or viewed or we're going to face some form of persecution. We can't escape it if we carry the gospel within us. It's really important to remember, I think, if we start this series, there isn't a non-persecuted church and a persecuted church. There's just one church. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are unified with us over the whole earth. And so we stand with them during this series. We stand with them as family. The Apostle Paul said this, he said, if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. And so, uh, so our hope is that as we look at the persecuted church today and the narrative of persecution that's followed the gospel throughout history, we'll feel more unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever they might be. The gospel and persecution do go hand in hand. But the good news is we have a God that's bigger and stronger than any evil that might manifest itself in our lives upon the earth. And the promise is that we can find his strength and his joy and his love even in the face of suffering. So at the start of this series, I want us to pray that we'll open our hearts to this, perhaps this challenging narrative that's present in our Bibles. That God will give us fresh insight into his love and his purposes that often come about through challenging and difficult circumstances. We're facing a difficult and dark time ahead of us. But in it, Jesus promises there's a blessing. He said, blessed are you when times get tough. Blessed are you when persecution comes. Rejoice and be glad. So let's pray today and ask God for the grace to, to partner with him in learning more about his church, learning more about our church family over the earth, and learning more about his great love for us, even when times do get dark. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that your promise is for us, that when life gets dark, you're there. We thank you, God, that there is a blessing, that we can rejoice in your faithfulness in the difficult times. And God, we ask for your grace to do that. God, will you give us eyes to see how you're working and what you're doing, even when life seems dark. Help us to draw strength from the example of the early church and from our brothers and sisters in Christ who stand in the face of persecution across the earth. 
Help us to partner with them and with you in the place of prayer to see your kingdom come and your will be done. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.